Hayes, Alexander, Shabbat for three, bang, oh! will get it for the win. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another night of 2022 NBA playoff recaps. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dripper Podcast, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and of course, to follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Dime Dropper Pod. So, we're going to continue every single playoff game means, I'm sorry, I'm doing every single playoff game in this playoffs. That's my goal. Obviously, I did not do the regular season the same way I did in year one of Dime Dropper. Only followed really the LA teams on a night-to-night basis. Even the Celtics, my adopted home in Massachusetts, did not get much uh, Dime Dropper coverage this year. But in the playoffs, I promised I would do every game. Even if I miss it live, I'll do it the night after. I'll make sure I talk about everything. So let's, obviously, recaps varying in detail per game. But most of them are pretty thorough, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say. But let's start with the games tonight, or let's begin with the games tonight. Three of them on the schedule. I'm getting really tired of these three games a night because it's part of the reason why I've been going late, uh, going live a little bit later because I, I record all the games, right? And then I kind of try to alternate between what's happening in the first one and the second one, but I pause it. So I'm always behind a little bit to make sure I don't miss anything because I could just watch it live, but then I just probably would watch like maybe half of each game as opposed to every single part of the game and then I just go live a little bit later but tonight's games were Miami and in Atlanta game three then we had Phoenix and New Orleans and in between those Chicago and Milwaukee so all three of them game threes let's start with the earliest one the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks I've talked about both of these games already the first two games the main thing that we've noticed is the Miami Heat's defense on Trey Young. Obviously, in the starting lineup, when they have Bam Adebayo out there, they can switch everything, and they have been doing that. But they've also been loading up on defenders where they may not think they have the best chance of guarding him, like your Tyler Heroes, your Duncan Robinsons, or sometimes even Max Struess, who actually has held his own for the most part in this series defensively in every single way. But they've been sending multiple bodies at Trey, loading up, trying to make other guys beat him, beat them. And so far, other guys have not beat them. The Hawks are already shorthanded with Capella out, and they had him out for a third straight game here tonight. But there was a change in approach tonight from Atlanta, and you've got to assume that Nate McMillan had a talk with the team, had a talk with Trey Young. A lot less of Trey just on the ball running pick and rolls. Even though he's stagnant off the ball, didn't move much, he was off the ball a little bit, and it let other guys get going early. And Gallinari and DeAndre Hunter did a really good job of actually taking advantage of some mismatches. You already know Gallinari has the post game, the mid post game, and he was going to it. Had a couple of buckets in the first quarter. DeAndre Hunter, I think it was against Kyle Lowry, he got the ball around eight feet away, and you know, kind of in an '80s like '80s basketball like position to catch the ball. Just turned and faced real quick, one motion, went up and scored early in the game. Another time, also in the first quarter, had Max Struess on him, hard drive right, behind the back snatchback, foul line jumpers. So I've always talked about on this show, if you guys remember, the Atlanta Hawks were a dime dropper team last year. I've always been big on DeAndre Hunter's game. And he showed why tonight in the beginning of this game. In addition, 
I thought John Collins was good. He got some decent post position on some mismatches himself in that first quarter. And he was aggressive. He was lively. I thought the Hawks' defense was a lot more lively. You know, they're going to, with a Kongwu, they're going to go into drop coverage. They don't have switching personnel like the Miami Heat do. And that obviously can be at a disadvantage when you move the ball fast. And somebody who got off to a great start for the Miami Heat was their man, their guy that's been doing it all series long, career game in game two. That's Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler. And in the beginning, he had a couple of nice pick-and-roll reads and drop coverage with Bam Adebayo, pocket pass, another one, sidestep to the corner for a jump shot, and he was making the right plays. And he was even getting double-teamed on certain mismatches because the Hawks were actually switching DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, and I think Collins on him. I'd have to go back and check the tape, but the point is they were switching some guys on a Jimmy but making sure he saw multiple bodies. However, the, the Heat were making him pay in moments of the game. Max Struess was one of the guys that made this, the Hawks pay all night long. He had himself a good shooting night. 7 of 13 from the field and 5 of 10 from 3. And in the third quarter, that showed the most. But it was a fairly even game to start. The Heat went on a little bit of a run. Got an 18 to 10 lead. But the Hawks ended the quarter pretty well. And it was a two-point Miami Heat lead after one. One thing you notice, too, in the first quarter, the Heat were trying to involve Trey Young and Kevin Herter in the action a lot on defense. So they'd bring Trey over. And Trey was guarding P.J. Tucker for a lot of the night. Trey, uh, P.J. Tucker and Max Struess. P.J. Tucker was primarily guarding Trey Young, and man, did he do a job. He was frustrating him. But a couple of times, Jimmy Butler put Trey Young in the action. Trey Young was showing, recovering, and at times they were still getting, you know, they were getting good looks off of that. But the Hawks ended on an 8-0 run to end the first, and that was partially because of Bogdan Bogdanovich. In the fourth quarter last game, we talked about how we kind of almost took over and won him the game. And in this one, he had a couple of nice shots going towards the basket uh, in the and at the end of the first quarter. One of them was a really nice turnaround over his right shoulder. I think it was on Tyler Hero off the glass. It was beautiful. Second quarter, this is when the Atlanta Hawks made one of their runs. The role players started hitting Kevin Herter from deep. And I just want to say about Kevin Herter, he is a good shot maker. I like his, his skill set, but he has a tendency to take some really deep, ill-advised threes. This team has a problem with shot selection, and you can look no further than the star of their team. Sometimes they just take deep threes early in the shot clock unnecessarily. And I think that it it didn't come back to bite tonight, but it has come come to bite them in stretches of you know last year's playoffs and this year's playoffs in game two they had a stretch in the third quarter last game where the, the, the run that the heat made didn't have to be as bad as it was and part of the reason they made that run was because they took quick deep threes early in the shot clock and Kevin Hurd is one of those guys that you know sometimes needs to chill obviously you know Gallinari isn't a super reliable guy when it comes to shot selection he's a tough shot maker so that means that he can take some tough shots and sometimes those aren't the best shots needed at the moment in time but we saw a lot of defensive adjustments though from Atlanta just throughout the game we saw them go through a little bit of a matchup zone at, at, at moments in the second quarter and we saw a lot of icing that's when, one thing I noticed to Jimmy Butler what in the drop coverage forcing him and funneling him to the baseline and in the beginning, they were a little slower on the rotations. That's how Bam got a couple of lazy uh, lazy layups. But Kevin Herter, in particular, from the weak side, kept doing a good job of sliding over in the second quarter. They were jumping the passing lanes and shooting the gap. There was an audio clip of P.J. Tucker talking, and he was saying that the Hawks were shooting the gap. DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter were able to get their hands on some, some balls. 
Well, maybe not DeAndre Hunter, but Kevin Herter got a steal, and I remembered. I can see it in my head. And the Hawks were pretty aggressive on defense, and they got in transition and got a couple of buckets. DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, they were making their open threes. Gallinari shot one three, made it. John Collins shot one three, made it. And I remember DeLon Wright coming off the bench. He was a plus 23 in the game, ladies and gentlemen. Plus 23, the highest plus minus of any player on either side. He played good defense. He had 13 points on 6 of 6 shooting and took it to the basket on fast breaks. Trey Young hit a logo 3. He had not really hit many shots in that first half. And when he hit that logo 3 and the Hawks went up 8, the crowd started getting going and you knew the momentum had started to shift. Tyler Hero was fantastic coming off the bench for the Heat. Maybe their best player tonight. Coming off screens, getting into his mid-range, getting to the basket for floaters. He, you know, his Euro step. Tyler Hero just showing all of his bag tonight. 24 points for him. He was the leading scorer on the Heat. 10 of 22 from the field and 4 of 11 from deep. But the Hawks outscored the Miami Heat 39-30 in the first half to take a 61 to 54 lead at the break. I thought it was a really good half, almost picture perfect. The pace that they were playing with was great. Bogdanovich hit a couple of threes. And Trey Young, despite not having a great shooting night, was still taking care of the ball a lot better than in game two. He had 10 turnovers in game two, only three in game three. And was finding guys on kickouts when they were doubling him with the switch-heavy defense. Obviously, when Dwayne Dedman comes in, they go to drop coverage and just focus on the rotations. But with... Bam out of bio, you know, you're going to get switch heavy. A lot of jumpers for Miami, by the way, in that run in the second quarter. And it was the same story in the fourth quarter when they blew another lead. A lot of jumpers. Not many, you know, not having Kyle Lowry in the fourth quarter really hurt. He had a hamstring injury and he missed the fourth quarter. And that really hurt, helped the Hawks get back in it. But before the Hawks got back in it, there was a 21 to nothing run made by the Miami Heat at the end of the third quarter. And a lot of it was forcing turnovers in the Hawks. They were getting rattled. They were making mistakes, rushing shots. Max Struess was having a really good quarter, getting down transition, also making open threes. A lot of different guys scoring for the Heat. Bam Adebayo started getting a couple of buckets. He had 13 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, and 3 steals in the game. I still don't think 9 shots is enough for Bam. If he's going to shoot efficiently like that, five, 5 shots, that's kind of the same thing I say with DeAndre Ayton. Even though I think DeAndre Ayton has a lot more scoring skill than Bam, I think Bam, has he improved at all? Like, that's my question. Has he improved at all? Because if he has, we need to see him be more of a guy that can create his own shot. The only shot I can remember that he, can, he tried to create today was in the mid-post, late in the game, jab-stepped like five times and bricked. You're going to need, if you're going to want to be a championship team, it's you're going to need better scoring than just Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry and the team and Tyler Hero. You know what I'm saying? Because I just don't, as as... By the way, I want to say about Jimmy Butler, he is scoring at, at a really solid level. He had 20 points tonight, though, on 40% shooting. The Hawks did a good job of trying to make others beat them. But Jimmy Butler is just not, I just don't, will stand by this, and I'm a big fan of his. He's not going to be the best scorer on a championship team. He's just not. I don't think he will be. If he, if And if I'm wrong, I'll be glad to be wrong. I'll be ecstatic, actually. But I just don't believe he will be. I don't think he's got enough skill, as crazy as it sounds, scoring the basketball. And I don't think that this team is, I mean, they're fairly gritty, but it just that 2004 Pistons team is the one outlier everyone's going to move to when it comes to not winning a championship without some ridiculously elite scorer. But the number of star caliber players in that team, I consider those five, five all-star caliber players in that team. I know some people don't mess with Tayshaun Prince like that, 
But, man, you got your guy. He's like your fifth scoring option or fourth scoring option, and he's guarding the best wing defender. And then your other guy that's not a scoring option is an amazing rebounder and the best interior defender. So it's, it's they don't really have that. You have, they have Max Struess. You know what I'm saying? He's a solid player, but he ain't Tayshaun Prince. Anyway, P.J. Tucker, he was doing an incredible job in this run keeping Trey Young in check. They were getting really physical with him, and he just wasn't getting clean looks straight up. 21-0 run, as I said. A lot of second chance points as well for Miami. But the Heat, or the Hawks kind of weathered the storm towards the end of the third quarter. 31-16, though, in favor of Miami in that third quarter. And then fourth quarter, it was a totally different game. The Atlanta Hawks started playing some better defense, but it started with them making shots. And once you make shots, the crowd gets into it. The momentum, it's all about momentum in the playoffs when these crowds are different. They can ride you home. They can get a team rattled and start making them miss in ways, getting in their head a little bit. You can just feel the the energy in the building. You know, I've even played, there were even games at the rec when I was a kid. And I remember when the crowd used to start getting going on the other team in the second half and I used to get full court pressed. I was like, I started feeling a little bit. I was like, yo, God. And obviously I know at the NBA level that probably happens a little bit. They're obviously stone cold. They've been in crazy atmospheres, but it's all relative, right? You, you can see it when they start missing shots. You can see it when the momentum shifts and a guy on the home team, you just know when shots, certain shots are going to go in. If you've been to playoff games, you've felt this before. There's nothing like being a part of that. And the Atlanta fans, it wasn't necessarily one of those we're not going to let them lose kind of nights, but they pushed this run forward for sure. Bogdanovich, it became the Bogdanovich show again in that fourth quarter, hitting his threes. He hit two corner threes, I believe both from Trey Young's assists. So with with um, Dwayne Dedman in the game, Trey Young wasn't getting to switch everything. He was able to get blitzed, make a pass, and get the defense in rotation, scrambling. And they found Bogdanovich for some threes. And I believe one time also just loading up in, on isolation on Trey Young, trying to work one-on-one, found a guy on a kickout, Bogdanovich, two threes. And Onyeka Kongwu, I think, is the unsung hero of this game unbelievable in drop coverage and pick and roll defense on one side, getting blocks, timing things perfectly, doing a great job staying in between ball handler and his man, and then finishing on the other end, a putback dunk, an and one, I believe, on Bam Adebayo, just really, really making hustle plays, and then Trey Young started getting going, and that's when you knew the Hawks could ride this home. A logo three, an and one. The refs started getting him to the line, started calling the game a little bit more generously for him. And the Miami Heat, you know, they kind of fell in love with that three ball to an extent and weren't getting many easy baskets. 40, not to an extent, actually. I'm looking at the numbers now. 45 three-point attempts, only 14 makes. Tyler Hero shot 11 of them. Made four of them, so that's not bad, actually. Max Drew shot efficiently, but everyone else. I mean, Jimmy Butler, I know he made some threes last game, but he shot five times and made one of them. So they can do without Jimmy Butler shooting five threes. P.J. Tucker, one of three. Made one in the corner to give them a 110-109 lead. That was a big shot. Kyle Lowry, two for six from deep. Gabe Vincent, 0 of five. Duncan Robinson, one of four. Another game for Duncan Robinson, not great. He has a short leash because he's not really doing anything else besides hitting threes and moving without the ball. His defense is mediocre at best. He's probably a net negative on that end of the floor. And Spoh's not messing around. Only got 14 minutes tonight. So seven minutes the last game, 14 tonight. You're not going to capitalize on your opportunities. You're not going to get many minutes on this Miami Heat team. And the Heat didn't really play many guys that much for that long. They went 10 deep. 
but Caleb Martin only got one minute, so they really went nine deep, and Dwayne Dedman played 13 minutes, Robinson 14, and Gabe Vincent 18, so only six guys played 20-plus minutes, whereas for Atlanta, eight different guys played 24 minutes or more. That would be Akon Wu, Bogdanovich, and DeLon Wright in addition to the starters. Gallinari, he started getting less minutes as the game went on. He had 11 points, and I believe at least five of those were in the first quarter. He was 4-7 from the field, 1-1 from three. He did his job, I guess. John Collins, though, he leaves a lot to be desired. Two for six from the field, one of one from three, six points. I just played solid in the first half, but I'm not going to complain because the Hawks won, but this guy has more potential than this, and I just think he doesn't believe in himself, really. But anyways, Trey Young late. P.J. Tucker makes a three to put the heat up one on a Jimmy Butler assist. Jimmy Butler also made a nice fall-away three, the same type of three he made in game two to clinch it. But Trey Young on well, what happened was the Heat had the ball with a one-point lead, killing some clock, but Jimmy Butler lollygagged on the ball. It was a bad possession, was forced into a tough shot. Fully because, in my eyes, Jimmy Butler held the ball too long and was just doing a little too much. And smart, taking a page out of the Ime Udoka playbook here, not calling a timeout. I'm saying that lightly, obviously. I know that's been going on for for decades. If the team's not calling timeout, to catch teams in transition late. But Trey Young got to the rim or got to the paint and hit a game-winning floater just like we saw against New York in game one last year. His second playoff game winner, ice in his veins. He didn't have a great game, but he made the big plays when they counted, kind of similar to Jaw yesterday. But I like the way Trey really ended the game more than Jaw. Jaw was more of a combination of his teammates uh, and a barrage of choking. Miami didn't really choke that hard. They still had to make the plays to beat them. It wasn't like they went into some humongous drought. And I didn't really see the game from the Heat's perspective to know like really why they went wrong. From what I saw, a lot, too many threes, mid-ranges being passed up for more threes, and no interior buckets, no easy points. And that's just the thing for a lot of teams these days. At least with Jimmy Butler, he's got the mid-range. But they're going to need Bam Adebayo to be more aggressive scoring and show a little bit more on that end for me. Kyle Lowry not playing the whole fourth quarter, though was huge and that they hurt they missed him a lot his late game experience he only had six points and played only 23 minutes two of seven from the field two of six from deep but yeah the atlanta hawks getting a huge win trey young played big when it counted after having a that's the sign of a true star when you're not having a great game when you're able to close and that was trey young tonight six of 14 from the field that field goal percentage i promise you guys looked a lot worse but he got the job done late Two of six from deep. Two, both of them were logo threes. Ten of twelve from the line, so he got to the line more tonight. Obviously, you know, home centric. You know, you're gonna get more calls at home. Twenty-four points, four rebounds, eight assists, and only three turnovers. So he took much better care of the ball. Thought DeAndre Hunter maybe been the most consistent player for the Hawks in this in this series, arguably either him or Bogdanovich. I'd say seventeen points for Hunter, but no rebounds, no assists, no steals, no blocks. Well, that's pretty rare. Seven of thirteen from the field, very solid. Two of six from three could have made one more Kevin Herter 13 points five rebounds four assists on five of 13 shooting and one of eight from three so entirely too many threes I witnessed him take some bad ones he needs to relax with those can be much better with his shot selection 
But in, in the end, they got the job done. Off the bench, though, the Hawks got such great production. A Kongwu, 9.6 rebounds, a steal, and two blocks on 4 of 4 shooting. And that doesn't even, even begin to explain how important he was in that fourth quarter because defense doesn't go in that box score outside of steals and blocks. He was awesome. Bogdanovich, again, another incredible performance off the bench. 18 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, 1 block, and only one turnover, seven of 17 from the field, and a very efficient four of nine from three. And then DeLon Wright, as I said, 13 points on six of six. So great stuff from the Hawks overall. Even though they got out-rebounded by nine, they made the big shots. They made big shots when they counted. For the Miami Heat, Tyler Hero, 24 points, 7 boards, 4 assists, 10 of 22 shooting, and 4 of 11 from 3. No free throw attempts, but he played fantastic. Kyle Lowry, I already explained. Bam Adebayo, I already said, 13, 11, and 5. 3 steals, 5 of 9. Max Struess, 7 of 13 from the field, 5 of 10 from 3. 20 points, really solid game. P.J. Tucker, awesome game. 11 points, 7 boards, and 4 assists. 4 of 6 from the field. Did a great job guarding Trey. 1 of 3 from 3. And then Jimmy Butler, 20 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Was a great playmaker tonight, but just did not close. So he has to take some accountability for this as the closer. That's how the games go. 8 of 20 from the field and 1 of 5 from 3. Some bad threes as well. Big win for the Hawks. We kind of have a series on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. Kind of. At least we have an, a game four with importance. My pick before the series was Heat and 5. I'm going to stick to Heat and 5. Let's go to another series that I had in 5. The Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Bulls. And this game wasn't pretty from the beginning. With Middleton out, we talked about it last night on my recap with my boy Oh the Great. Check that recap out, guys. Leave a like and a comment. Leave a like and a comment. On that one as well. Remember, guys, to hit the notification bell on all platforms to know when I'm when I'm going live, when I release an episode. Hit it for the live so we can all go live together. But Milwaukee, right? We talked about how with Middleton out, is this going to be a deep, long series? And I'll tell you what. The Milwaukee Bucks tonight showed championship characteristics by saying, you know what? Y'all think it's going to be a series? Let's shut that noise down. Let's shut it down right away. They wanted to come out and make a statement. And that statement was started by one Drew Holiday, who I criticized for having a poor game in Game 2 overall, not closing the game well. And he came out, blew by Alex Caruso two times in the first quarter, and I knew he meant business. He was guarding DeRozan, fighting over every screen. He was unbelievable. And one thing about the Bucks, the role players showed up and showed up from the beginning tonight. Bobby Portis, thankfully for him, he was okay. Came back today, hit a mid-range to start the game. Cash. Giannis gets double teamed, kicks to Portis, three ball, cash. In transition, cash. And Giannis, he just kept making the right plays, garnering so much attention. He only had 18 points tonight, but he had nine assists and seven rebounds. And he made he was getting doubled all the time. And that doesn't just create assists. It's also about the hockey assist. He puts the defense in rotation because they're doubling him. And when he's in transition, it's the same. And the Bucks were able to get in transition a lot more tonight because they got a lot more stops tonight. And the way they were able to do that was by neutralizing DeMar DeRozan. And the strategy there was to ice him. The same way I was talking about with the Atlanta Hawks trying to do to Jimmy Butler, they were trying to ice DeRozan to his left. So even if they tried to set a screen right, Lopez would just kind of angle himself to force him to his left. Holiday the same. They would sit on his right hand. And he made maybe one one shot, one or two shots that way. He was pretty efficient, four of nine. but But the thing was, they took away his shots. That's the thing. And they were very okay with leaving Nikola Vucevic open for that pick and pop. 
And he shot 8 of 17, right? Vucevic, 19 points, but 3 of 9 from deep. So they were going to take that. They were going to take that, and he got a lot of good shots. He needed to make slightly more threes, but maybe even sometimes pass up the three and get into a dribble handoff with Levine as a, you know, as a counter to that. Keep making the defense work. I think that's a decent idea going to the next game. But DeRozan, his shots were taken away. Vucevic, they were totally living with it. And I thought that not just, you know, not just, um, and by the way, I just want to say before I end on the Hawks game, Trey Young's defense was decent tonight too. He, he tried hard. He tried hard, so I'll give him that. But let's keep my back. Back to this game. Yeah. Drew Holiday, very aggressive. Bobby Portis. Giannis only had two points in the first quarter. It was on an and one. Overall, just kept making the right plays. Grayson Allen came in, had nine points on three threes on kickouts. So he was hitting, and he didn't have a good game shooting the ball last game, too. I talked about how he and Pat Connaughton were cold. Felt like he and Pat Connaughton weren't missing tonight. Pat Connaughton finished with two finished shooting two of seven from deep. But man, I don't know. It just felt like you those two were I remember them well. Let's put it that way. He had eleven points. Eleven points for him. Grayson Allen had twenty-two off the bench. Eight of twelve from the field and five for seven from three. Unbelievable night off the bench for Grayson Allen. It's exactly what they needed. And in the second quarter, just more of the same. 33-17 in favor of Milwaukee in the first. But the Bulls actually held up in the second quarter. Zach Levine was actually playing pretty well. Hitting his shots, shooting the three ball, taking what the defense gave him. Whether it was pick and roll, making some solid passes to Vooch for little push shots. And I think Vooch had a little bit more success on those push shots from two-point range tonight than from three. He was five for eight from, from the two-point from inside the arc and then three of nine outside. So was efficient inside the arc. But I thought Brooke Lopez got the better of him, both on the defensive end, and he got him in the similar situations on the other side when Vucevic was in drop coverage. Brooke Lopez had some really nice turnarounds over his right shoulder on, off the drop-off from Drew Holiday or Giannis. A lot more Drew Holiday. Because Giannis, I like how they figured out that Giannis running pick-and-rolls as the ball handler just isn't that effective. He's more comfortable as the roller, setting the screen, or just getting a normal isolation on the wing about 10 feet away from the basket. Because it's it, it, you have to hard double, and it's not as easy to just load up the way teams are doing to guards on other teams like Trey. The way Kevin Durant gets the ball, Kyrie, they still load up on Giannis, but it's different. It's 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 deeper. It's you know what I'm saying. They have to cover more ground. So Giannis was doing better in the second quarter. He was getting to the basket in transition a couple of times. Vucevic got cross matched onto him, whether in transition or just rotating on pick and rolls. And Giannis was giving him the business. Got by him for a dunk. Hit a mid range on him. Giannis, he can still do without some of the threes. He was 0 of 3 from 3 tonight, or 0 for 3 from 3 tonight. He hit two mid-ranges, but his jumper is still, jury's out on it for me with Giannis. It's gotten better, but the space, you got to look also, you, that's why you just can't look at, I always look at where your, what your percentage is from that distance, but you also have to look at how you're being guarded. That's another thing that just doesn't go in stats, and that's why I'm so anti-stats in a lot of ways. Giannis... You, they give him more space than, say, even a Jimmy Butler from the mid-range area. Obviously, because he's a threat going to the basket, you have to pick your poison. But still, you know what I'm saying? It's If, if they really wanted to prevent the mid-range, they would press up and just have a guy ready to double him on the drive. But they choose to guard him a slightly different way. They'll live with the jumper because it's a bailout. Anyways, second half, you know, DeRozan after not having a great first half. And by the way, Caruso played well again. He tried hard. The problem with the Bulls is... There are other guys outside of those three and then Caruso. There's no depth and there's they don't make threes consistently. Like Kobe White just shoots as if he's like got the shot of like 
Devontae Graham, you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of confidence in his jump shot. And he was one of six from three. It was really frustrating in the second quarter, just getting three after three. Levine was making the right plays. They were loading up on Levine on isolations. He was making the right play. DeRozan, same thing. And they were making the right plays for the most part, but no, they were not hitting. Nine of 34 from deep for the team. Patrick Williams, 0 for 4 from three, 0 of 9 from the field. I mean, you're just... You're not going to get that. You're just not going get, to get a win against this team with your role players playing like that and when they're forcing the ball out of DeMar DeRozan's hands. Zach Levine, again, another efficient night. Six for 13 from the field, two of four from three, 15 points, five rebounds, five assists. But that's not enough for me. He needs to go back to start playing. Like I know, again, he looks injured. and But if he's on the court, man, my rule is this. If you're too injured to play, you don't play at all. If you play, no excuses. And right now, Zach looks like he's capable of still scoring 20-plus points. I'm not asking him to carry a normal load. He clearly is not 100-100%, but he's good enough to be getting some buckets. And he should shoot more than this. He should be more aggressive than this. DeRozan's getting too much of a number one kind of thing now, and I've been saying it for a while, and I just think that Levine is efficient enough and, and creative enough and not much worse than DeRozan that it has to be this kind of disparity. I know... Levine shot more tonight, but it's not about shot attempts. It's about touches as well. I just think there needs to be a little bit more of a balance here. But third quarter, yeah, it was just 18 points scored for the Bulls. They couldn't do it. Made some of the right plays and missed open shots and then made some of the wrong plays. DeMar DeRozan, he was struggling passing the ball. They were exposing some weaknesses, passing going to his left, made some turnovers on some pocket passes. And yeah, he had three turnovers. Bucks just seem to take advantage of every mistake. Drew Holiday was not playing games at all. At all. And they ran away with it. The game was over by the end of the third quarter. It was a commanding win. The defensive intensity was sharp. They wanted to shut down any noise of them having any chance to win this series. 111-81, to 81, a 30-piece in Chicago. Even boos raining from the crowd at times with the Bulls. And now... They just got to win this next game to avoid, I don't want to say embarrassment, but without Chris Middleton, they should get one game at home. I expected them to get one game at home with Chris Middleton, so they got to win the next game. They got to respond to that. DeRozan, only 11 points, and mind you guys, this was only the second game of the postseason that the game was decided before the fourth quarter even started. The big boys, Giannis, Levine, DeRozan, they didn't even play in the fourth quarter. It was decided. The only other game that was the case was Miami and Atlanta game one. So DeRozan, 11 points tonight in three quarters, five rebounds, four assists, four of nine from the field. They really cut off his shots. Nikola Vucevic, 19 points and six rebounds and three assists. And by the way, on a counter for DeRozan, he's going to have to go more ISO if, if, if they're going to do the same thing, ice him on every pick and roll and just force him to pass. He's going to have to go more ISO. And if they're loading up on him the way they're doing to KD, same thing. Got to start your move deeper, 15 feet, even on the block if you can. Vucevic, 19.6 boards on 8-17 shooting, 3-9 of nine from deep. Caruso, 9 points. No steals, no blocks, surprisingly, for AC. 3-7 of seven from the field. 3-5 of five from 3, though. And I think all three of them were in the... At least two of them were in the first half. Maybe all three threes were in the first half, to be honest. Zach Levine, 15 points, 5 rebounds, 5-6 five of six on 6-13 six shooting. For the Bucks, Giannis, 18 points, 7 boards, 9 assists, 7 of 12 shooting, 0 for 3 from 3, but 4 or 5 from the line, so he didn't get to the line that much, but he made 80% of them. Brooke Lopez, 9 points on 4 of 9 shooting, thought he was really good, 1 of 2 from 3, 1 for 2 from 3. 18 and 16, that's 16 rebounds for Bobby Portis, who was phenomenal from the, from the jump. 
7 of 14 from the field. He is so important to this team. 4 of 8 from 3. Awesome. And then Drew Holiday, 16 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, a steal and a block. 7 of 14 from the field. 1 of 5 from deep, but that doesn't even show half of his value. And Wes Matthews also, in 25 minutes, he was only 1 for 3 and only scored 3 points, but he was fantastic getting over these screens. They were they were all... That's why you got to watch the games. Wes Matthews, Drew Holiday, lockdown. And now we're going to end it with Game 3 of the Pelicans and the Suns. And um, my apologies, ladies and gentlemen, for this, because the first quarter I was watching the end of the Hawks game, and there was a delay in the Hawks game. There was some, apparently a mysterious box next to the Dominique Wilkins statue, and they delayed the start of the game. So that's really weird. But New Orleans, start. I, I, I watched it. I turned it on late in the first quarter, and it was like a two-point two point game. And the announcer, Mark Jones, was saying that DeAndre Ayton had an amazing first quarter. And that was something. Where did we hear that, Dime Cupper fam? On my last recap, that DeAndre Ayton needs to be used as more of a star, not just a pick-and-roll man. And I think there was a mix of both today. It was really healthy, and you got to give Monty credit, but you also got to give Chris Paul credit because I told you, it's a player's league. you got to make those decisions on the court. Empower your big man, and he did just that. DeAndre Ayton, by the time I turned on the TV, looked so confident. He had 13 points in the first quarter, which was his career high for a playoff game in a quarter. And when I turned on the TV, the Pelicans were already in their small ball lineup with Nance, and they were doing a really solid job. But JaVale McGee was absolutely killing on the glass. And he was going and taking advantage of mismatches. They were making JaVale McGee look like Wilt Chamberlain out there at times. Jump hooks, deep post position. Rudy Escargobert needs to watch JaVale McGee and, and take some notes. Because it's literally that simple. JaVale makes it look easy. He needs to look at that. He gets deep post position. He has good touch. He gets fouled. He crashes the offensive glass when they go small. But that being said... Campaign looked a little suspect in the first quarter throughout the game, honestly. He was missing chippies. He was turning the ball over, taking some really ill-advised shots. And of course, when they were switching everything that forces ISO ball, Campaign, one of five tonight, 0 of two from three, and three points, three personal fouls in 13 minutes. So what they did a great job neutralizing him for the second consecutive game. And they ended the quarter well, the Pels, with CP and Aiden on the bench, 29 to 28. Second quarter, though, CP and Aiden restored order. I saw when Aiden came in, jump hooks from like outside the key. Great pick and, pick and rolls of Chris Paul. Drop coverage, you already know Chris Paul. They try to force him baseline or middle. Drops it off to Aiden for that little push shot. Aiden can dict that one dribble. Sometimes when the big does a good job and actually gets to the, gets to the spot, recovers to him, he'll take that one dribble, turn over his right shoulder, a little shimmy shake in the key. Just beautiful offense tonight from DeAndre Ayton. Chris Paul was making great reads as usual. Point godding it up. 14 assists again for Chris Paul. Second consecutive game with 14 assists. And in typical Chris Paul fashion, zero turnovers. Just the best assist to turnover ratio man in the history of the NBA. Best taking care of the ball. But I do think sometimes that comes... Back to bite him a little bit, like Isaiah Thomas said a couple years ago. Because obviously, turnovers are terrible. I, my pet peeve when I played, and still is to this day, even in pickup, is turnovers. I hate giving the ball away. But sometimes it's good to take risks because those risks will pay off. And I think LeBron, Magic, do a really good job of that. And Chris, sometimes a little conservative with the ball. I did think tonight, though, no, no issues with the way he played, obviously. Was doing a good job in this run that the, that the Suns have of pushing the pace, throwing the ball up if you needed to. Landry Shamit posterized Jackson Hayes. It was very surprising. I've had, I've seen Sham have his fair share of solid dunks, 
with the Clippers, but that was pretty impressive. And speaking of Jackson Hayes, he got ejected for a football kind of charge into Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder, obviously an irritant in his own way, kind of got under his skin and, and he lashed out like that. And it definitely was not something that benefited the Pelicans as the game went on. They got outscored in the second quarter, 31-19. to The Pelicans just kind of went cold. And yeah, very stagnant as well, the Pels went. A lot of isolation for CJ. And by the way, Chris Paul, I remember saying last game that he can't guard certain guys in this series. But tonight, he took the challenge, and it was a huge reason they won. He was actually switching on to CJ McCollum and really holding his own one-on-one. And I think CJ is actually a decent matchup for Chris because I've always said since, like, 2014 that Chris struggles with quick guards. But CJ is not necessarily the quickest guard. He's strong, but Chris is also strong, and he just knows angles and is great one-on-one and gets to his spots. But Chris Paul reads up and literally studies the game like the savant that he is and knows what spots to sit on. and work to. He knows probably to force him to certain spots that aren't his spots. And and he knows probably his tendencies. And you can tell by the way he guarded him. He did a good job on certain one-on-one possessions tonight. So credit to Chris Paul. He really led by example on both ends of the floor. He knew exactly what was needed without Devin Booker. And he he provided exactly that, even at his age, 36 years old. We got to give him more credit for how old he is instead of just giving it to LeBron all the time. By the way, Aiton, DeAndre Ayton, 21 points. In the first half, that was his most points for any half he's played in his playoff career, his very young playoff career. 59-48, the Suns at the half. But then the third quarter, the Pelicans made noise, and it started with C.J. McCollum. Coming off the screens, going to that drop coverage, pull-ups, cash. Mid-range area, isolation needed, cash. I also think a couple of times Brandon Ingram had the ball, and obviously they're going to load up on him, double up on him. C.J. McCollum, his spacing sometimes is the same thing I said about Kyrie Irving last night in my live and and Kevin Durant. I think it was Kyrie on one play and Patty Mills and certain guys in the Brooklyn Nets. Their spacing when they're behind the three is terrible sometimes. You need to be one. Give your the your the, your teammate with the ball a window and an angle to pass the ball and pass the ball to the point where you have to make the guy that's guarding you commit to either him or you. If you're standing three feet away, five feet away from him. I'm going to say five feet away because these players are all six feet, seven feet tall or even seven feet away. That's easy. By the time the pass is made, he can get out there. You know what I'm saying? One pass away. Make sure you have a nice angle where he doesn't have to pass it too far behind him. And a couple of times, CJ McCollum was just directly behind Ingram, basically. One dribble, if Ingram takes to his left, the guy is right next between Ingram and, and CJ. But one time, Ingram still found him like basically behind Found CJ behind him, basically, and he still made the three. And then Brandon Ingram started getting to his mid-range, whether it was off screens and drop coverage, same way CJ did, right elbow, or just posting up. He was dominating. He was in that isolation. And I'm starting to like Brandon Ingram's game more than Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young's. Well, Trey Young, I'll give Trey Young. He went to the conference final, so I'm not going to say Trey Young, but honestly, Donovan, eh, maybe even both, because Brandon Ingram is a mid-range assassin, he's 6'9", and he plays defense, unlike those three, unlike those two I just named. I'll give them the edge for now because their playoff experience, but by the end of this series, we'll see. I need a little bit more, though, from Ingram before I can say this. I need a game four win, but I just love the way he's playing. I love his game, and it's built for the playoffs. By the way, someone else who played really well in this third quarter, Herb Jones, both ends of the floor. He was really attacking on offense, had some tough finishes at the rim, and then it was a nice steal he got. And went in for a dunk. This was at the at the peak of the crowd hype for the for the Pelicans. 
They got some tough calls against them, though. I'm not going to lie. But DeAndre Ayton continued to hoop. Continued to hoop. CP went a little bit cold in the third quarter. And we had a two-point game going into the fourth. And then, unfortunately, guys, this is where the bad news comes in for me. And by the way, 31-22 in favor of New Orleans in the third quarter. It was a two-point Suns lead heading into the fourth. And this is where I have to give you guys the bad news. The bad news is that I did not remember to record directly after the game. So I didn't actually end up watching the last 10 minutes of the game. I watched the highlights, and I saw what really took place. I can't fully tell you why the Pelicans lost, but I can tell you this. Chris Paul, Chris Paul, Chris Paul. Again, just like game one, 19 points in the fourth quarter from what I heard. That could That's just unbelievable, or maybe 17 points. That's just unbelievable, and you saw the highlights. It was the same old, same old. Valanchunas was playing, drop coverage, let me get to my spots. There was one time where they actually forced him to his left, but Valanchunas was just sagging off too much. He walked into it. He got to get his feet set. What do I say about Chris Paul? He can't stop on a dime going left and pull up, but he can walk into it if you give him all that space to set his feet. He did just that. But you can live with that, right? What you can't live with is him getting to his right. And he did that multiple times. You funnel him to his left, he finds a way to snake it back to his right. If you, as the, as the big man, don't come up and funnel him th- that way or blitz his ass. You cannot let him move into that space. He's so crafty. He'll make the right read. He was doing exactly that tonight. Stopping and popping, fading away. He's great turning his shoulders and turning his body for that right elbow jump shot. He's made his bread and butter on that for 15 fucking years. And he was doing it again tonight to his former team, mind you. And then at the end, up by five, they put Larry Nance in to switch everything. And he had the better of him in game one. And he got the better of him in this one again. Step back, pull back, snatch back, whatever you want to call it. Daggers. Chris Paul, one of the best in his era of shutting the door. He did it for my Clippers many a time. He's done it for the Suns, possibly even more in terms of ratio in terms of these two games I'm sorry two years with the Suns the amount of games it seems like he's closed and he did it again tonight as for what happened with the Pelicans on offense I can't tell you highlights only show makes so it's disappointing to hear that they didn't come up with the win at home it's really disappointing because the Suns may just they shot four for 26 from deep tonight four for 26 15 percent they were so much weaker without Booker offensively, but because Aiton had 28 and 17, and by the way, that's not just a game of his life or out of his mind. He is capable of this. And I think the Suns, it's again, the key to the championship is Aiton, and obviously now Booker's health. 13 for 20 for DA. Unbelievable. Only one three and he made it, but also only one free throw attempt, but he made it. And then Chris Paul, 28 points, 14 assists, zero turnovers, just unbelievable. Player of the game for me tonight, probably because of his closing job. 10 of 18 from the field. 1 of 6 from 3. Did not hit the 3 ball well. But 7 of 8 from the line. Just unbelievable. Mikael Bridges, another solid night. He's been probably the most consistent player in this series for the Suns. 17 points on 4 of 9 shooting. Only shot 1 3 and missed it. But was 9 of 9 from the line. Jay Crowder, again, he continues to struggle from deep. He had 10 points. He had a much better game. I think this was the best game of the series. But that's not saying much. 4, of, four for 10. 0 of 5 from 3, though. And then Cam Johnson, who started in place of Devin Booker, 3 for 7, 2 of 5 from 3, 8 points. That sounds pretty efficient, but he was not as active as the first two games in my eyes. Didn't notice him as much in his in this starting role. Shamit, though, eh, didn't play too great, but he had 5 points on 2 of 7 shooting. 0 of 5 from 3. I mean, this guy feels like he hasn't made a shot since he left the Clippers. <laughs> but 
JaVale McGee, the star man off the bench, 15 points, 7 of 8 shooting. He was just awesome and dominated the small ball units for the Pels. For the Pels, it sucks because you're not going to get a game where the Suns shoot that poorly from 3. 4 for 26. I feel like that could have been their chance to win, guys. And now maybe the Suns have the confidence. They're really good together. Chris Paul's been there, done that. They have momentum. They could just get game four and then Book comes back game five. Or even if he doesn't and they finish in five. I really hope the Pelicans respond and hopefully beat the Suns up badly. Hopefully Aiden and Chris Paul don't have as good of a game. But Chris Paul always plays well just because of how smart he is in his attention that he gets. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna, if you play him a certain way, he's going, if you don't have to switch everything personnel, he's gonna get his looks eventually or get looks for his teammates. So I don't see a blowout. I think it's gonna have to be a close win if the Pels win, but they can, they can blow them out if everything goes right. Ingram, 34 points tonight, seven rebounds, 11 for 19 from the field and three of six from deep, nine of 10 from the line. Another great performance by B.I. He's had such a good playoffs, but I didn't watch the end, so I don't know if he failed to close. Herb Jones, 12 points, 5 for 7. Was awesome again. Jonas Valanciunas, probably his worst game of the series thus far. Only, well, he had 11 rebounds, but 6 points, 1 of 5. They need a lot, they definitely need better than that, and he will be better than that. Jackson Hayes obviously got ejected with 4 points, only 10 minutes. CJ, and that hurt too, Jackson Hayes being out. CJ, 30 points, had a really solid game overall to me. Maybe he didn't close, didn't watch the end. 4 boards, 7 assists. Only two turnovers, 11 of 23 from the field and four of 11 from three. But I just saw something that's appalling. Four for eight from the line. CJ, dude, four of eight or four for eight. That's terrible, man. You got to at least hit two, at least. You've been an 80% free throw shooter like your whole career. Oh, man, that's terrible. Free throws, guys, in the playoffs, it's everything. Oh, wow, he's never been a really good... Oh, never mind. This is so weird. I'm looking at his free throw numbers, guys. You won't believe them. So he started out his career, his first two seasons, he didn't shoot even 70%. Then in 2016, when he broke out and won most improved player, he had he averaged 83%. Then 91 in 2017. And then three two seasons in a row of 83%. And then in the 2020 season, he goes down to 76. And then last year, 81. But for whatever reason, this year, he's shooting. He shot 70% in Portland, 71% in Portland, and then 67% in the Big Easy. So what the hell is going on with CJ's free throws? That's really weird and kind of concerning. But Devontae Graham, too. You finally got some shots made from him, too, for New Orleans. 12 points, 3 for 6 from 3. And then four of six for Alvarado, nine points. It's just, it was a tough loss, guys. Larry Nance Jr., I actually think he played decently, but one of eight from the field and 0 for four from three. He did not have a good shooting night. And the Suns only outscored the Pels by one in the fourth, but it was enough. 114 to 111. The Suns take a 2 1 lead and handle their business with all the pressure on them. They ended up shooting 50%, though, besides the four for 26, and that's because of JaVale McGee and DeAndre Ayton. They also shot. 22 for 27 from the foul line, 81.5%. So that was good. They lost the glass battle yet again by 10. But they had 26 assists to the Pelicans, 17. They only had six turnovers. That's in large part to Chris Paul and the way he handles the ball. And they had 64 points in the paint, Phoenix. So there you go. 
That's it for me tonight, guys. I likely will not be going live tomorrow, even though there's four games on the slate. I will probably be live Sunday to recap everything, and hopefully I'll have a couple of series done by then. So we'll be, it'll be easier for me to watch two games, not go live as late, and also remember everything and go more specific for each game. But I feel like I'm giving you guys a lot. 48-minute live tonight, that's an average of around, what, 16 minutes per game. So we'll be hopefully I can't wait to get to the two episodes, or two games a night lives, and hopefully some teams are eliminated on Sunday by Sunday. So excited for that game tomorrow though, Boston and Brooklyn. It's gonna be amazing. But super chats are turned on. If you want to drop a dollar or a dime, now I'm gonna go to the live subscribers waiting oh so patiently in the chat. Good night, everybody.